0: Live. Live. Live from This is the Just End the Suffering Podcast. Wait for
1: the win. Got it! Oh! He broke his ankle. on
0: me. Follow me with freedom. Here's your host, Mike Phillips. Mike
2: Phillips.
1: What's up, everybody? Welcome to the latest episode of the Just and the Suffering Podcast, featuring New York sports talk and long-suffering fan. I'm your host, Mike Phillips. i got a good show for you this week. We're going to get ready for the Masters. That's right, Masters golf in November. It's that kind of year, 2020. I'll be joined in just a bit by our golf guy, Dan D. Martini. We're going to preview the Masters, talk about some golfers who are going to win, what we might see in this tournament. It's going to be a little different. Obviously, no fans, but the time's a little different on Sunday. We'll talk about all that with Dan in just a bit. He's also going to stick around do some Week 10 NFL picks. I had a good week last week in the picks. I went 2-1. I look to try and go for another winning week this week in the picks. Also, at the end of the podcast, stick around for Week 2 of our Mandalorian coverage. I'm going to be joined by Pete Considori. We're going to break down the 10th episode of The Mandalorian, The Passenger, what how we felt about it, where we liked it, whether we didn't, what we could improve on, the best parts. All that's coming up at the end of the episode. But we'll get it all started this week's opening tip, where we're going to talk about... The latest on the Jets as they enter their bye week right after this. Three,
0: two, one. Y'all ready for this? The opening tip. And here we go.
1: All right, we are back here. Opening tip. Jets hit their bye week at 0-9, and they gave the Tankers a big scare on Monday night because they played probably their best game of the season against the Patriots. I mean, Joe Flacco's coming out. He's throwing deep, taking big shots down the field. We get big touchdowns early for Rashad Perriman, a brilliant throw to Jameson Crowder at the end of the first half. And before you know it, it looks like the Jets are going to win this game. And you're sitting there, you're like, oh my gosh, your heart's in here. And you're nervous because you're like, thinking about it. If you're a Jet fan, what do you want? You can have this opportunity to embarrass the Patriots in a year where they're clearly going nowhere, even after the Patriots won this game. That team is nothing. They actually might have worse skill, such talent than the Jets, if you look at their roster, because there really is nothing there. They have Jacoby Myers catching passes. i never heard of their tight end. Demir Bird we're worried about. New England's got big issues. And Camden looks like he's having some trouble. Having, you cannot move the ball very well against the Jets secondary, which is very alarming. But you could have that, and you're thinking about, what happens if we win this game? We'll go to one win. The Jaguars also have a win. The Jaguars are starting a sixth-round rookie in Jake Luton. And they might not win the game based on their schedule, so you might be kissing Charlie Lawrence goodbye with this win. But it doesn't happen. Joe Flacco throws a pick in the fourth quarter. Patriots go down, score. Jets get the ball back afterwards, go three and out. New England goes down. Nick Folk at the gun, X jet Boom, a big field goal. New England wins. Jets are 0-9. Jets hit the bye. And the dream of Trevor Lawrence is still alive. And it's been a very interesting week in Jetland because, obviously, Joe Douglas met the media at midseason like he usually does, and he had some thoughts on what's going on, and a lot of people were freaking out about what he said about Adam Gase is part of the solution. I like what he's doing. Sam Darnold's our quarterback. You don't have to worry about it. Everyone's like, oh my God, he's brainwashed. You guys need to calm down. In the words of Aaron Rodgers, R-E-L-A-X. Those statements mean absolutely nothing. Joe Douglas is not going to come out and publicly throw his coach under the bus. Adam Gase is the reason that Joe Douglas has this job, because Adam Gase fought hard for him to do it. He cannot come out here, throw Gase to the Wolves, and then expect to be able to continuously hire whoever he wants to be the next head coach. He can't do that. He also can't throw Sam Darnold to the bus, because Sam Darnold is right now their quarterback. He could still be their quarterback. As a fan, I'd like to see them be more aggressive when he's in the game, because the Jets threw the ball down the field, and all of a sudden they could move the offense like a competent NFL team. We saw a ton of more deep shots with Joe Flacco than we did with Darnold. The question is why? Is it Joe Flacco feeling more comfortable taking shots down the field than Sam Darnold? Was the offensive coordinator calling more deep down, downfield shots because they had their full complement of weapons here? When Sam Darnold comes back after the bye with his full complement of receivers, we should have a better idea of what he looks like because this will be the first time all season Darnold has had his complete complement of skill position players available to him. If he's still being captain check down and not taking risks, then you have to wonder, is this Sam Darrell not being aggressive enough? Is this the coaching staff not trusting him? We need to find out over these final seven games what he is. But the Jets do have a big change coming after this season. This is also directly tied back to the presidential election because President Trump lost. I mean, he's still arguing that he didn't lose, but the facts say he lost. That means that Woody Johnson, who's over in the UK as the ambassador to London, he's coming back. And he's going to be back in charge of his organization. Woody Johnson is not as patient as Christopher is. And if he's coming back here off a 0-16 or 1-15 season, Adam Gates is not surviving. Adam Gates is getting kicked out the door. Woody is going to be involved. But the thing with Woody is, we need to make sure that Woody actually lets Joe Douglas, hire the next head coach. It had the head coach report to Joe Douglas. Not to Woody Johnson in this stupid system they established where the owner has the coach and the GM as equals. They both report to him. They need more of a traditional power structure where Joe Douglas picks his coach. The coach reports to Joe. Joe reports to Woody. Give them the latitude to make moves without being a meddler. And we don't need the search firms. We don't need Charlie Casserly. We have a guy in the NFL who knows what he wants in coach. Let him pick the guy. His draft picks have looked pretty good so far. Makai Beckton looks like a stud at left tackle. He's been phenomenal. Denzel Mims, that he's played, has looked pretty good. He's got separation. He's got some athleticism. He makes big plays. He policies around running. You have a real fine receiver there. Ashton Davis had his best game of the season on Monday night against the Patriots. He had some big plays down the stretch. We also saw Michael Piron earlier this year. He's got a little bit burst. They need to get him more work because giving the ball to Frank Gore 15 times a game makes no sense when you're 0-9, but piron has got ability. The punter looks good. We still haven't seen enough out of Bryce Hall yet. He just came off the COVID reserve list. We still haven't seen a lot of Cameron Clark, their linemen, but... Zuniga's active, finally. He's making plays. The, the draft looks like it might be good. And they have a lot of draft picks. They have a lot of money to spend. They have a lot of options here. And the key here is, let Joe Douglas do his job. If Joe Douglas wants a new head coach, let him pick the head coach he wants. If he wants to draft Trevor Lawrence number one, let him draft Trevor Lawrence number one. If he wants to keep Sam Darnold and Bill around him, do that. But, No more of this micromanaging nonsense of we have to get Tim Tebow to sell jerseys and tickets. Worry about letting your team build a winner. If you build the winner, the fans will be fully engaged. Right now, they're kind of meh on the team because they know the coach stinks. They know this quarterback is being screwed by the lack of help he's getting. They are in trouble. They have a guy who might be able to fix it. Let him. Please do that. But up next, we're going to take a break from this. We're going to go to the Masters with Dandy Martini right after this.
0: And is indeed
1: a U.S. Open champion All right, we are back here on the Just End the Suffering podcast. Talking golf in November feels very weird to be saying that. So whenever we talk golf, we do have our golf guy on. He works with the PGA Tour. Dan D Martinez back. Dan, how are you?
2: I'm doing well, Mike. Thanks for having me. And uh, it's fun to talk about just where we've been uh, with the world of golf. It seems like everybody is kind of ready to for the Masters, and um, it's it's an exciting time um, as we kind of wrap up 2020 and, and start pushing towards 2021.
1: Yeah, it definitely feels weird though. I mean, if you could have, I could have told you last year after we did the last major, okay, we're gonna be on in November of 2020. Talk about the Masters. How weird would that sound?
2: Very strange. It's it's a really really weird year, and to be perfectly honest, um, the way the schedule works out, it it's kind of fun, um, although strange. <laughs> uh, it, it's fun in in that we're gonna get a lot of great golf now between this Masters. Um, all the way through the players championship and then another masters right away within, within about a six month span, we're going to get, you know, a ton of high level competition, great tournaments, obviously waste management Phoenix open is always a really fun one. So if you're a avid golf fan, um, you can kind of sit back and say, well, you know, 2020 was a really tough year. Uh, but 2021 and, and in the end of 2020, it's really going to be an exciting time to watch and kind of see where we are right now in the golf landscape with all these young players and, and more seasoned players now coming back out and feeling more comfortable playing on a week-to-week basis. So it's going to be a lot of fun, and it starts this week.
1: It does, and it does feel weird on the calendar, too. They are the last major of the year this year because we have the PGA Championship in August. We have the U.S. Open in September. So what did we really learn from these last two majors that we can carry into the Masters this year? You
2: know, what we learned is that it, while – they were played at, at in a different time. Um, the core of those tournaments still held through. Um, really, no complaints about the courses, uh, the course conditions. Um, being played in different months, uh, the tournament teams for those respective organizations did phenomenal jobs. Um, really, no issues getting off these majors. So, while that's a great thing, it's not like there's pressure on Augusta National to put out you know another you know a. The, the, the way that that course is always set up, I mean, it's always so, so pristine, and they do an incredible job, and also just the weather that they benefit from uh, being in that portion of the country, um, you know, it should live up to the, to the, you know, the stature of what you think when you close your eyes and you say, oh, it's Masters week." So um, that lush green fairway that you see in your mind and, and those yellow pin flags, um, you're going to get that again and uh, there was a little bit of question about it leading up to it, but from everything that I've heard and seen, it's going to be just on on par with the other two tournaments. From a competition standpoint, obviously Colin Morikawa winning the PGA Championship and Bryson DeChambeau winning the U.S. Open, what you saw there was really tough competition, and the right guy at the right time, uh, whose game was was obviously being tested um, with the rest of the field kind of dropping off a bit, those guys matched the course style, and those were the ones that truly stepped up and kind of played their game, and Cal who can do a little bit of everything, uh, and had an amazing summer uh, of week-to-week playing, culminating in his first major championship. That was fantastic to see. And then, obviously, the story of the summer may have been Bryson DeChambeau. It still is. Um, just his incredible play and his ability to hit the ball just miles and miles further than um, his competition on a week-to-week basis. Is, uh, it's really incredible. Uh, so I'm expecting another really interesting week, more so than ever. I know we were talking about this a little bit offline, but this is a wide-open Masters field. Normally, you have a really good idea of like who's going to be that favorite coming into the week. And everybody that I've talked to and everything that I've seen, there really isn't one standout person. I know we can talk about it here in a minute, but um, I, I think it's going to be really, really interesting from a course setup. Is it going to play long? Is it going to play a little bit shorter? Um, it sounds like we're going to have decent weather. So I, I'm really, really curious to see whose game is in shape to win and just how low these golfers will go.
1: Yeah, before we get into some of the golfers themselves, let's go to the course obviously it's the one course where you know, like every year is a major year, you know all the holes. But we're used to being in April around Easter. We're getting it now in the middle of football season, and and a little cool, bit of cooler weather than we're used to. Then, so what do you think would really be different about the Masters in November than the Masters in April? Well,
2: what's what's funny is that. It- from a, a condition standpoint, it's still really warm down here. You know, I'm I'm in Jacksonville, Florida. I'm not that far away. I'm a, I'm a half-day drive from Augusta National. Um, you know, it's a very, uh, it seems like they have also been kind of in these high 70s to mid 80s um, conditions. We've gotten a fair amount of rain, but that's usually pretty good for the course. And everything that I've heard about the course conditions, there were some, uh, aerial shots that were taken a few weeks ago that were posted online about, you know, that it looks dried out or this or that. Well, a ton of rain has come through. We've obviously got a tropical depression hitting us right now on the on the western side of Florida and making its way across. Um, and, you know, that's helping the course conditions as well. So while that's not going to hit um, or should affect play, uh, we, you know, you never know. Um, the path of those storms can change all the time. It sounds like they've got the course in a condition where you won't know. Um, whether it's um, you know November uh, in the South or whether it's or it's April, so it sounds like and, and from everything that I've seen and heard that you're going to get a pretty true product and and the course itself. While there may be some leaves on the on the fairway, um, other than that, it's, it's going to feel very much like April.
1: Yeah, I think there'll be two differences. Obviously. Number one is no fans, which I think we expect here in 2020. The other two thing I think is going to be noticeable, especially when we get to the last round, is that it's going to be an earlier phase than we it used to for the Masters because obviously it's an NFL Sunday. CBS wants to have the whole thing wrapped up by like 3 o'clock so they can do a 4 o'clock window a game. So I think that might be interesting, seeing the turnaround from the, the third round Saturday to the fourth round on Sunday.
2: Those those are two really good points, and and I will definitely say that it, it's going to be fun to make sure everybody that's out there listening and in and, and prep for the weekend uh, set your alarms, get up early on Sunday and, you know, make your coffee and set up for brunch because it'll be a fun kind of early morning um, way to watch the final round. And, you know, hopefully we've got a fantastic finish there. And so you're kind of keeping one eye on the football and then one eye on the, the closing hole on Sunday. So great to point out the timing has changed um, as well. It, it will be really interesting to see how the players kind of adapt that schedule i don't think it's going to affect them that much because they're used to going out pretty early as well um it's just going to be uh, you know from my perspective i think we're going to get we deserve a really good masters uh for this year with everything that we've been through from the golf landscape from trying to protect the players as best we can from a covid19 standpoint to the protocols of not having fans on site Um, and you know, a lot of guys are in the prime of their careers right now and to be able to put out a fantastic, um, product here at the end of 2020 is really, I feel like it's well-deserved for the people that work in and around, uh, the golf product. Uh, so it should be a lot of fun and definitely make sure you're, you're setting your alarm Sunday morning and, um, you know, you got your TV tuned in.
1: Yeah, indeed. And one of the guys might be in the mix there, the man of the moment in golf, Bryson DeChambeau, the Sports Illustrated cover athlete of, of November and obviously wins the U.S. Open. He's sort of become the revelation of golf because of his scientific approach to the game and you embracing weightlifting and trying to find ways to just take full advantage of his talent. So what do you think about Bryson DeChambeau here? How do you think he's going to do?
2: Well, you know, Bryson's a really interesting case, right? I mean, he's had a phenomenal year. Um, There was an article that came out earlier this week. You know, I believe it's on several publications now. If you search Twitter, you just search his last name. I'm sure you can find the article. It talks about how he, in a practice round, he is hitting the ball so far and on such unique angles to approach these these holes, that these traditionally, you know, two Shots, maybe three shots into green type holes, and he's hitting, you know, a driver and then, you know, a seven iron, uh, where most guys could have a hybrid or a wood trying to reach it into. And he's just reinventing some of these traditional golf courses with just how long he can hit the ball off the tee. And it's just such a unique view to see it this week as a real treat for all golf fans. Um, Maybe not golf traditionalists who are used to it. you know, Augusta really being a, a, a big test of uh, your ability to adapt to scrambling and hitting from unique angles and having to play conservative, but then go for it at the right time. Seems like Bryson might come out and just go for it. Uh, you know, the first hole all the way through 18. So he's going to take, he's going to play his game. It's going to be really interesting to see if it translates into a low score. Bryson could win by five strokes or he could be... 10 shots off the lead. It's all, you know, Augusta has that ability, and course setup is really going to be interesting to see because Bryson plays his style of game, which we've all seen throughout the year, on courses that are wide open where he can scramble and make some, you know, uh, recover from a shot that kind of goes a little bit errant. Augusta might not be so forgiving this week. So it's going to be really interesting to see what happens with his score. Expect to see his name early, or he's going to be fairly down the, the
1: Board. Yeah, he's one to watch. The other one to watch is another one you feel like you've forgotten because it's been so long ago is that Tiger was actually defending champ here. He had the big marable win at Augusta last April in April of twenty nineteen. Not even last April, it's that long ago. But we haven't heard much from him this year in the restart. He hasn't been super high on the leaderboard. So what do you think about Tiger's chances here? You think he can win again? You think it's just like kinda of too long a layoff here?
2: So personally, you know, I I don't want to be the kind of guy who ever says, you know, that they're picking against Tiger Woods ever. Um, that's not like a reputation that I want to uh, establish, but because it's Tiger Woods. Um, but what I will say is that, you know, obviously he took a considerable amount of time off. Um, and he, has he been as active? He played at the Zozo Championship, um, which was just. You know, a couple of weeks ago, I believe, and uh, before that, you know, he had taken basically the full month um, in terms of PGA Tour tournament to play at the U.S. Open. At the last time, you know, he, he was cut at the U.S. Open, so he's got a tie for seventy-two at the Zozo Championship, and so we and the, before that, it was a cut. So in his last two events, we really don't know if he he, he basically combined score from those two tournaments. You know, he's plus nine, so I don't know what kind of game we're going to get. It, it, clearly, Tiger knows this course better than any other player in the field um, at this moment, other than maybe Bernard Longer, <laughs> um, who's the ageless wonder who's still playing. And, and watch, we're going to see Longer's name in the top 20, uh, you know, leading into Saturday and Sunday. It could definitely happen again. The guy is just amazing. But um, I, if I'm picking Tiger, I would lean towards more saying that he's going to have a better finish in this coming Masters in the April situation rather than the one that he's going to face this week in November purely because I think there are more events that will get him into a rhythm leading into the one in the spring rather than this one here in November. The thing with Tiger is when he establishes that rhythm and he can make, you know, four or five birdies on, on the front nine and then you know, established times when he wants to be conservative and then aggressive, that's the Tiger that has a chance going into Sunday. I don't know if he's going to be able to come right out the gate without really putting up a ton of birdies and going low early to stay with some of these guys who have been playing really frequently. I mean, I I think that Dustin Johnson, Brooks Kepka, all these guys who played great last week in Houston, their game is way more in tune to come out and, and have a great finish at Augusta this week than tiger i I just think he's up against uh, a big challenge getting his competitive juices going again uh to win but once again i mean it's tiger Woods, and he's done it in recently when everybody else is counting them out so you know it's really tough I, i would lean towards him having a better finish in april
1: yeah that makes some sense obviously they're not the only two guys there were some other contenders you could see making some noise. I mean, I've been following the Twitter spear a little bit. And it seems like John Rahm is getting a lot of play this week. And it's really interesting that that John Rahm is
2: is back on it. He he obviously also had a really good 2020 uh and competitively. I, you know, I, as I said, I think that Dustin Johnson, I think that Brooks Kepka, Justin Thomas is always um, you know, a favorite here. I really like Patrick Cantley, um, who won recently, and I, I just think that historically I think I believe in the last Masters, I think he finished in the top 10, um, his game really kind of fits. He doesn't make a ton of mistakes and he's learning how to uh, come back from one of his mistakes, which is a really big key uh, on the PGA tour. You have to be able to say, okay, I made a bogey. Let me come back with two birdies. And um, I, I feel like his game is really, really strong right now. I love Webb Simpson. Once again, a guy who doesn't make a lot of bogeys, he just he makes. He's not going to go out and shoot eight nine under, but he's going to chip away. He's going to go three under, two under, four under, um, and he's going to quietly just keep sneaking up. I love Hideki Matsuyama. I think that he, he's coming off the hottest round last week at Houston. He's another guy who loves the big stage, and I think that uh, you know we've seen some success at Augusta, so I, I think that Hideki's in a good spot. A lot of people out there, people that I work with, colleagues at the BJ Tour, are high on Jason Day. I'm really curious because everybody, Jason Day is such a good person and has such a great family and just everything about Jason Day you have to like. I would love to see him in contention. He's had some success at Augusta in the past. So, and obviously, just, I would love to see him come back and, and this be, uh, you know, Jason Day is still playing high level golf and uh that would be a great story so i'm high on those guys a couple of other kind of sleepers uh, i know that we normally do picks and then sleepers um some guys that i really like uh hatton uh only if i'm if i'm looking at some of the more european players that are coming over to play uh hatton is a name that everybody should know now he is playing phenomenally, playing a lot. Um, I, I'm, I tend to go with the guys uh, from a sleeper standpoint that I have been playing these tournaments under these COVID conditions because it's very different. There is no competitive juices uh, that are fed on by hearing the crowds and the cheers and making putts and making great shots. You have to be your own motivator out there. It's just you and your cat. So, um, he seems to have figured out how to do it and had some success as well. Um, those are the guys that, that the self-motivated guys are the ones that I'm, I'm looking at there. Justin Rose um, is, a, is kind of a deep cut. He always, always is a contender at Augusta. Um, and then, you know, I, a guy that I, I think every time, Mike, that I've been on to you that I pick, it, it's Xander Shoffley. Um, I just like that guy's game. He, he never really uh, gets too high or too low he just keeps grinding and even if he's four or five shots up the lead he has the kind of game that can just you know switch on and go four or five under in a row and boom he's at the top of the leaderboard he comes out of nowhere so he's definitely a guy uh that i would would seriously consider going with um but once again look i've already just named what seven eight guys names and you could talk about patrick reed you could talk about um, Ricky Fowler has been really, really focused. Everything that I've heard that he's all he's been gunning for for the past few weeks is, is being able to come out and have a great showing here at Augusta because that's something that he hasn't been able to put together so uh, in a couple of years. So I, I'm really curious. There's so many big names that are all big competitors this week, and they all want it. They're all looking at this saying, you know, um, this is a bonus almost we didn't think we were going to get it so why not just come out and let it rip so we have no idea what's going to happen um but everybody seems to have a different favorite whether it's tepka whether it's rom i don't know but um you know my personal opinion if if i had to pick somebody mike i think i would have to, to pick Dustin johnson just because of how he looked last week and when he is putting well ugh it's really hard to catch him. We've seen it a few times in the past two years now. And when he's making long putts and mid-range putts, not too many can stay with him. So that's who I'm going with.
1: All right, interesting call there. Two things I wanted to touch on real quick before we move on here. Number one, obviously I might have missed this, but you're, do you buy the ROM hype?
2: I, I love John ROM's game. I really do. I just think that there are other guys that are going to look at this opportunity and that are going to come out and be super – Super aggressive towards it toward getting the win i think that rom um you know has now proven that he can win um you know he had, a, he had a great 2020 um i just i'm leaning towards some of the guys that have been playing a little bit more often more frequently and you know watching rom through the, the, the FedEx Cup playoffs he was so hot and played so great down the stretch i think it's it, it's kind of tough when you have such a, a great finish to the FedEx Cup season in the past year. And then, you know, you take a little bit of time to figure out, you know, rest, recover, get your game back together and do that reset. I just think that what he's another guy that I would put in with the tiger category, but I could see him having a better April than a November. Um, I, I'm just riding the hot hands at the moment. And, and that seems to be on the, the Kepka is healthy again. Uh, DeChambeau is out gunning, and and the Dustin Johnsons of the world. So that's why I'm just leaning more towards them. I don't... If you're asking me for a yes or no, I'm not believing the ROM hype, but I could be eating my words in a week.
1: Yeah, the other one who I'm intrigued on, one who I'm I'm inclined to lean towards here, I think, because he's a little under the radar considering his reputation. What about Rory McIlroy?
2: Yeah, Rory's is really interesting. Um, I've seen... Uh, on, on you know various odd sites, you know Rory is still somebody not to count out. I just don't know if his game is right for Augusta, and it's really hard every year that I watch. I'm a Rory fan. I really am. He's a really nice guy. Every time I've interacted with him, he's just he's great with the fans. He's great with you know working with corporate sponsors and everything that he does. He is a class act, and I want him to win. Um, I just think that once again stylistically I think that there are other guys that are going to attack this course in a way that um, you know that right now their games are better suited for it and Rory I would have loved to see Rory play a, you know a little bit more often through the end of the year and, and obviously into um, into this you know wraparound PGA Tour season uh, just to get a few more rounds under his belt and, and kind of be towards the top of the leaderboard um, you know Rory's a guy that once again I think that he's just like Dustin Johnson That if they're on And their putting is working They are untouchable But I, we just don't know because We haven't seen enough from Rory lately
1: Alright that sounds good A lot of deep dives into the Masters Daniel let's stick around and do some NFL picks this week Yeah let's do it Alright we'll do some NFL picks right after this Show me the money Show me the money All right, show me the money. NFL picks for week number 10 as the season moves along, trying to outrun the coronavirus here, get to the end of the regular season. Dan D. Martin, he's still here with us. We we'll guys about his Indianapolis calls this week and Colts Ravens, not exactly a fun one for you to watch. Yeah, uh, dude. Well, you know, here's what I'll say.
2: I... No, I've watched the Colts my entire life. And I have understood the challenge that the Colts face ever since losing Andrew Luck to retirement. Um, this team is being built the right way. But what's critical in the NFL these days is your quarterback. And you have to have that guy that you can throw the ball to in critical moments. And he's going to get that first down. He's just going to win the one on one matchup. The Colts don't have that. And that's what came back to bite them. You know, Marcus Peters played an amazing game for the Ravens, but the Colts were outplaying them. It was 10 7 at halftime, and the Colts' defense was fairly dominant throughout the game. The Colts gave seven points away by fumbling the ball in the first half, and, uh, you know, there was also a terrible Philip Rivers interception, which we could talk about, but, um, you know, the Colts' offense made critical mistake you can't do that against the Ravens because although you matched up well and you completely shut down the run I think they held them to only like 53 yards for most of the game um against Lamar Jackson in a really unique running offense um they 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 matched up well but they they made critical errors that that winning teams can't make so it was hard to watch but I kind of told myself with the Colts gauntlet of a schedule that they have up. They had the Ravens, they've got the Titans on Thursday, they've got the Packers, and then the Titans again. So, you know, with four games there, I said, if we can come out two and two, which I think we will take one from the Titans, and I was leaning towards between the Packers and Ravens, that we could beat the Packers, and that we would lose the Ravens. There were some things that I felt encouraged about when I watched the Raven game, but I, I did... It was it was very tough watching that first half and feeling pretty good, and then seeing just no offense in the entire second half of that game. So hard to watch that game, but good on the Ravens. The John Harbaugh—they don't—they play fairly disciplined football, and they take advantage of your mistakes. And that's what winning football is in the NFL. You can't beat yourself. There's just no room for error.
1: Yeah, they don't, and the big issue for them is that they made the big bet with one year of Phillip Rivers, hoping he would be enough an upgrade over the Jacoby Brissett situation at quarterback, and from what I've seen, I don't think he's done enough to really put them over the top.
2: No, I mean, Rivers, it's a it's a roller coaster. It, it really is. It seems like every week um, he, you come into these games, and there's no – predicting what he's going to do everybody ex- expected him to come out and torch the jags he won and he, he did play okay but he made critical errors in that game that you know lose to the, the only win the jaguars have is against us and we're expecting to be a playoff team i mean this is what you get with rivers but then he comes out and he completely torches the Bengals and the lions now i'm not saying that those are great opponents but he played pretty pretty great football those two weeks i mean um you know he was in consideration for afc player of the week so you know he he can do that and that's what drives you mad is that um this past week was the worst i've seen him um he's better than jacoby Brissett. he is he's definitely an upgrade there um but as uh, look I, I sit here and everybody's like, you know, you're never going anywhere with Rivers, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, okay, I understand that. What else were we going to do? We didn't have the, a high enough first-round pick because, you know, we went 7-9 and nine to get one of the top guys. And no one expected our 30-year-old franchise quarterback to retire in the peak of his career. It takes other franchises, it's taken them decades to find a replacement suitable enough. That's the Jags. That's the Jets. It's not a simple thing just to find, you know, just having a top draft pick doesn't mean that you can immediately get the quarterback of the future. I mean, the Packers are banking on Jordan Love being the guy. What if they wasted a first-round pick on him, and he doesn't turn into be anything good for Aaron Rodgers once he's gone? The Packers could be set back for years. So what we're seeing is just how important the quarterback's position is. Philip Rivers is going to get us to the playoffs. He's going to be feisty. We're going to lose. We're a wild card team, especially this year with the expanded format. The Colts' defense is definitely good enough to get us to an AFC championship. Their offense, there is no playmaker. You're seeing Naeem Hines do some good things. You're seeing the occasional flash from the tight ends, especially Mo Ali Cox, who I've liked for a long time, and Trey Burton, who I really think fits well. But it just seems like Philip Rivers is missing guys open and with with an aging T.Y. Hilton who's basically, you know, just can't get any separation. He's just not a number one wide receiver anymore. So you're running out a bunch of young guys and a bunch of maybe twos and threes, and you just don't have that one marquee player to pass the ball to. And that's really making it hard because Rivers has always had, you know, you had Mike Williams and Keenan Allen and then he had Antonio Gates. And we maybe have taken for granted the fact that the Chargers have historically had a ton of ta- offensive talent around Rivers. And now we're seeing him, you know, I don't want to say scramble because he doesn't run very much, but we're seeing a lot of poor decisions and bad throws because he has to force the ball into tough windows. And we know he, he loves to throw the deep ball, but he's never been known for being particularly accurate. So it's really tough to watch because you walk into every game and you have no idea what he's going to do. You have no idea if if, if the play calls are going to be right in that moment, and you have no idea if he's going to be able to put the ball in a perfect spot for these wide receivers to get it or whether he's going to throw it two feet behind and get picked. So it's really it's really unfortunate um, because the Colts are supposed to be a running team and we're struggling to run the ball. There is no excuse for how poor the offensive line has been in run blocking. Pass protection, they've been great. Run blocking, really bad for what they're being paid. and losing Marlon Mack is shown to be a a a real issue for this team. It's showing that you got to resign this guy in a contract year because Jonathan Taylor can't carry the load alone. So, I mean, he's a rookie, but he just he doesn't have that kind of you know I can break through in the tight holes that open up on the defensive line and burst through. He he you know he's a bruiser. He's more of a bruiser, and he doesn't have that lateral quickness that Mack does. So. That's what the Colts are facing. It's, it's a we're an average team. We might instead of being seven and nine percent set would probably go nine and seven with Rivers. And is, was it that much of an upgrade? I don't know. It's not like we have Rivers a long term deal here, so I guess it was worth the experiment to try to get into the playoffs. And then who knows? Maybe a few plays go our way, a couple <laughs> good calls, and, and maybe we make a little bit of a run. But uh, my hopes are not particularly high, other than maybe squeaking into the to the playoffs as, as a low seed. Sorry, high. Oh, no, low
1: seed. Yeah, I think, in my opinion, watching your watching that team, I feel like this week against Tennessee is going to make or break game for the calls because I think, obviously, historically they've done very well against the Titans. they've won 18 in the last 22 meetings against Tennessee. This is a game you have to get to win that division. And I think it's probably your best path to the playoffs because the wild card makes a mess because you have the Browns in there, you have teams like the the, the uh, Raiders are in there, you have. Potentially the Broncos sneaking back in there. You have a lot of teams in that mix. I think you do need to get this game this week.
2: Got to get one. Got to get one out of two with the Titans. And um, we've always matched up well against the Titans. Um, PY Hilton has always been a really big thorn in their side uh, for the Texans and the Titans. I just just, don't don't see anything. T.Y. hasn't given us anything this year. So my hopes aren't up they really not. The Titans defense is getting a lot of criticism lately because they're not playing particularly good football, but watch them come out and shut us down. Um, and, and their offense is tough. I mean, we are built to stop the run, which is great, but watch Tannehill come out. I mean, Lamar Jackson, I read an interesting stat. He did not pass for a ton of yards against the Colts this past week, but his last incompletion against us came with nine minutes left in the second quarter. So he went from nine minutes in the second quarter till the end of the game without an incompletion. And that's a little worrisome, especially since I think that the way that Tannehill is playing right now and the wide receiving core that they have for the Titans, which is slightly underrated. Um, Tannehill, I'm just I'm closing my eyes right now and I'm picturing him just picking up apart, like eight yards here, thirteen yards here, a five yard swing pass. Uh, he's he just gonna he doesn't wanna make those deep throws, and against us that's what we let up. So I'm worried that our defense is going to get gassed because they're going to be on the field because the Titans are going to bring some pressure. They're going to stop the run. We're going to have to be forcing passes to guys like Marcus Johnson and Demichael Harris, who are unproven, um, even more lower known names than Zach Bassel, who they counted on last year so much. So I don't know. No Jack Doyle. It sounds like because of the concussion protocol, uh, our offense i just don't know where points are going to come from and um you know i i have no faith coming out of a half where we basically got shut out um to come out now and, and be like you know they're going to come out and just crush the titans i, I just don't see it so it, it's a frustrating time I, I hope that it changes and i hope that rivers is, has the attitude uh, to, to keep everybody positive and and say, hey, let's let's go out and surprise some people. Everybody's counting us out. He's the guy to do it. I just just waiting to see it and I'm not getting my hopes up.
1: So Yeah, we'll see. That game is on Thursday night. We're gonna get into why you're here now. We're gonna do the NFL picks for week number nine. Our good friend Phil Friday was here last week. He went one and two on the week. The one he got right he did lay the two and a half with the Ravens against the Colts. He got that correct. He laid the seven with the Patriots. Hey. Yeah. 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 Yeah, he laid the s- you laid the same with the Patriots against the Jets. The Jets actually covered the number and almost won the game outright last night. They did not, so you got that one wrong. This is the Cardinals laying three and a half against the Miami Dolphins. The Dolphins won that game outright, so one or two weeks for Phillip.
2: You know, let me ask you this, though. Just quickly on the Jets, I kind of felt like watching that game, like clearly there's a part of me that's like rooting for the Jets. I just want the guys on that team, because I love Frank Gore, and I always appreciated Joe Flacco. I thought he was always undervalued. So, like, just watching that team, um, I'm like, man, I really want them to be still balanced. But at the same time, I'm like, no, the Jets need a refresh. And if they start, like, winning a couple games here and there, you know, it's going to be harder for them to say, okay, let's get rid of Gates, let's get rid of everything that we've got going on there, and let's start fresh. Like, I want them to be able to start fresh if that's the play. So I kind of wanted them to lose. But it was really fun to see. I'm sitting there, kind of as an anti-Patriots fan. I was kind of sitting back, kind of laughing at the end of the game, as like Cam Newton celebrating and Belichick is like fist pumping and all this stuff. I'm like, congratulations, guys! You barely beat the Jets. <laughs> like it's not. It was so funny how fall, the, how much the Patriots have fallen, just to see them scraping out a comeback victory against the Jets on a national stage, and then be happy about it. Like I expected Belichick to be. Like kicked off, and it was it was just very weird uh, to see the Patriots like celebrating a win. They should be mad at themselves. The
1: Jets are basically trying to lose. It was so strange. What did you think? Yeah, I thought it was a bit at the top of the podcast. But I'll say again with the Jets, the thing that was interesting about that game was that like it was sort of like the perfect storm where like. A lot of the young guys in the draft class played well. McCauley Beck didn't play well before he got hurt. Denzel Mims had some plays. You had some you saw some stuff out of young guys like Bryce Huff. And they made some made interesting, but they lost the game in the end, which is what you wanted to see because you still have your eye on the big prize of getting Trevor Lawrence there. And considering Jacksonville looks yeah. inept and they don't want to they might not win another game this year, you might need to go for the go for the zero there to get to get him in, into New York.
2: Yeah, yeah, you might. Although anytime the Jags played the the Colts seems like they magically are an amazing team. So they might get two. They might get two. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, no, I mean, it's a good thing for you guys. Every week that you lose is basically saying, you know, we're going to get our choice of quarterback, uh, which it should be, you know, Trevor Lawrence. And, um, you know, you start over. And then you figure out what to do with Darnold. And you, um, you say, you know, this is where we're going because he can do so many things. Um, and and you start building around the quarterback. and it's going to take a couple more years. But Jet fans, obviously, in my opinion, should be should be pleased with losing um, for now, because you don't. If you can get one win, if, if, as long as everybody else has two wins, I would. I get why you would want to win that game, but right now you you gotta lose.
1: Yeah, he went one and two in the week. I went two and one last week. I took three underdogs. I had. The Saints getting five and a half against the Buccaneers on Sunday night. They won that game, rowing away in a landslide. I had the Raiders as one and a half point underdogs against the Chargers. They won that game. The Chargers gave me a scare before they charged it out and ended that game. I also had the Bears getting the six against the Titans, and they did not come close in that game. So it's like the final score. So two and one on the week for me. Yeah,
2: no, I mean, that's a, honestly, I could see why, you know, you would, you would go with all those picks. They, they seemed, they looked really good for a while. And then, yeah, you had a couple scares, but, um, you know, that was, uh, really good choices, really good choices. So I, I'm going to try to do better than, than Phil. Um, and, uh, we'll see. I think historically I've been over 500 with my picks. So I'm going to try to keep that up just personally. And for the, uh, the guest pickers, I got to, I got to keep the tally going.
1: Yeah, so on the year the challengers are 15, 11 and one. There's one push in there. I'm actually nineteen and eight on the year. So I've been on fire pretty much since the start.
2: Yeah, that's great. All right. uh, you're just uh, you're seeing you're seeing the league well this year, you know. Because some years I can't I can't read it, and then there's there's other years where I'm like I feel like I'm in tune with what teams are doing. So let's
1: see what happens. Yeah, I think this part of it is because the Jets are so bad. So I'm expanding my horizons a little bit and keeping an eye on everybody else because I know the, J- the Jets are just awful. Makes sense. Let's uh, let's get it going. All right, we are going to get it going. You were up first as the guest with your picks. Where are you going with pick number one?
2: You know, I'm going to go right back to the Miami Dolphins. Um, I think the Dolphins with Tua, it's going to be really interesting to see Tua go up against Justin Herbert. It's going to be um, really interesting to see if that defense can continue to shut people down. Uh, I was really impressed with what they did this past week, and I think that, that coaching staff puts you in a good position to not make mistakes and uh, starting to see the field. It's, it looks like it's slowing down now in the second game. So um, I, I'm going to go with the Dolphins, giving two and a half points uh, to the LA Chargers.
1: I like that pick because I think it's a manageable number at home. I think it's one they're being disrespected because this is a charger team. It's two and six. They're flying across the country and they're laying less than a field goal. So I think that's smart to pounce on that.
2: Yeah and it, it, once again it, it could be a trap because you know the Chargers obviously are now really feisty and they weren't able to, to steal a win last week and they've, they've had some really unfortunate losses. They're probably better than their record uh, but I think that the Dolphins will be in control from the start of that game and I can see uh, them throwing some interesting defensive looks to try to get some turnovers in that game and it sounds it seems two is a winner, and uh, he might not be have the biggest stats, but I firmly believe that um, you know he's going to be a tough tough quarterback in the next few years for the AFC. All right,
1: where are you going with pick two? Uh,
2: pick number two. I, I was a little confused by this, uh, just seeing it come across the, the, the board like this. But the Seattle Seahawks are getting two points, uh, going to play the LA Rams. The Seahawks are an anomaly to me because they don't play great defense, but Russell Wilson is just so good. The, the Rams clearly know what the Seahawks like to do. That's why it's a field goal game. But I figured it would have gone the other direction. That the Seahawks, even on the road, would be giving you know two points or giving at least three points, uh, something along those lines. So it's strange to me that, that you're basically giving me two points in Seattle, I'll absolutely roll with that. Uh, I I think it's going to be a great matchup to watch D.K. go up against Jalen Ramsey. That's a lot of fun. Um, But I think this is a game that you see uh, Tyler Lockett come back in and play. He had a great game a couple weeks ago. I think he's going to be tough. Um, And I can see Russell Wilson scrambling and causing some problems because we know there's going to be pressure coming up the middle. We all know that Donald's coming after him, but I think that uh, Russell will do just enough to squeak out this win. I could see the Seahawks winning like 27-20.
1: Yeah, I, I think it's one where they overreact to how they play against Buffalo. And you're getting Russell as a dog, and you get to win outright to get it? Take it.
2: Yeah, I, I just I, I can't go against that one. I and mean, You see a great team like the Seahawks you know, getting points. I mean, I, I got I to gotta give it a shot.
1: Yeah, are you going with your last pick?
2: You know, I don't love this pick. Um, I, I probably should pick just the Titans against my Colts for all the reasons that I explained earlier. Um, but once again, I I watched, I watched the Vikings play for the past few weeks, and I know the whole Dalvin Cook thing, and just crushed the Packers. And, uh, but I also watched what the Colts did against the Vikings, and the Colts defense and the Bears defense are very similar. They are built to stuff the run. You cannot get penetration. Um, from an offensive line standpoint to kind of create these holes that Dalvin Cook was just just destroying the Packers last week. So I'm actually going to take the Bears. Uh, They're getting two points from a miserable Minnesota team. Uh, At home, uh, they're getting two and a half points. I I, got to take the Bears. Even though they can't put up points, um, the Colts were able to, to put up a ton of points against them. They obviously traded away Key players, um, and they've got some injuries still on the defensive side of the ball. I will gladly take the Bears uh, and the points at home uh, against what I really believe was a, was a fluke situation for the Vikings last week.
1: Yeah, I Love getting a home dog in Monday football, especially the divisional games. So I can't blame you there. I think that's a very shrewd pick.
2: Yeah, I, I once again, the Bears' offense is anemic. It doesn't. It doesn't scare anybody what they do. But that defense, I watch uh, very carefully what they do from a linebacker perspective. They, if your tee is running the ball, they are going to stuff it. Uh, and I think this is a tough week for the Vikings to clearly want to ground grounded down. That ain't happened against that defensive front. So I'm going to take the Bears uh, to, to completely put the script on the Vikings.
1: All right, I'm up now. Pick number one. I'm going to go back to a team I won with last year. I take the Saints laying the nine and a half points at home against the 49ers on Sunday, and the Saints came back. We've kind of left them for dead at the beginning of the season. Now they came out. They completely demolished Tampa Bay on primetime stage. Now they come home and get a San Francisco team that's completely decimated by injuries. No Jimmy Garoppolo, nor George Kittle. A lot of guys on the IR for the receiver list, and... This is a big revenge game because this is a game last year that probably cost the Saints a chance at the Super Bowl by missing out on the home field, losing this game in San Francisco. Revenge on the mind here. They're going to win this game big. Give me the Saints laying a a 9.5 pick one.
2: Yeah, I I love that. I'm not going to argue it at all. It doesn't make any sense for why the Saints wouldn't win that game by two touchdowns. Uh, You know, 9.5 is obviously a lot of points, um, especially against, you know, the defending NFC champions. I know that they are not the same team. They don't have any of the weapons. I know because I've got a lot of their weapons on my fantasy teams, and they're all on IR or on COVID list. So um, if they are decimated, I think that they will come out with a, a better game plan. And I, the only thing you have to worry about, Mike, is obviously the, the trap scenario, which is everybody's expecting the Saints to kill them. So the, the, the Saints come out a little sleepy, and all of a sudden it's, you know, a 13-10 game at halftime. Uh, and, you know, it, it, it could be, I could see it being a 10-point game just because the Saints don't care that much. You know, it's it, it, they're not threatened. So, I don't know. Uh, it, watching them, what they did to the Buccaneers, they put up that kind of a showing against the 49ers. They could win by 40. <laughs> right. So, we'll see. But that's a great pick.
1: All right, that's pick number one. Pick number two, to stay in the division We take the Buccaneers laying four and a half on the road against the Panthers. I feel like it's none of all these things where you are overreacting to what we saw in week number nine with Tampa Bay. And they yes, they got crushed. Yes, the Saints are also a very good football team. Tampa Bay is still very, very good. And they're only laying four and a half because the Carolina team that lost Christian McCaffrey again does not have a good defense. And their Tampa Bay defense is good. Tampa Bay will be able to slow them down. They won 31 17 the first time these teams met. I would not be surprised if the margin is similar again. I'm only have to lay four and a half. So give me the Bucks, pick two.
2: Yeah, I like that. I don't think that Tom Brady's going to allow for, uh, you know, a- another embarrassment showing us it's not in his DNA to come out and be flat two games in a row. So I-, I think that you saw everything that Bruce Arians said this past week was, you know, we are going to force Mike Evans to ball. There's no reason. He was open and Brady didn't find him. Anytime that Mike Evans is involved in the offense, that is trouble for the defense. So if they're going to come out and throw him the ball 10 times, you know he's catching at least seven. Uh, and they're likely going to go for, for scores. So that's a great pick, too. I, I think that uh, the Bucks win by at least 10.
1: All right, that's pick two. Pick number three. I'm going with the doggers. They're going to take the Broncos, getting five and a half in Vegas against the Raiders. This is one where I think the number is just too high for Las Vegas. And they've been playing a lot of close games. They could have easily lost the Chargers on Sunday if they have a couple of touchdowns actually stay in the Chargers' possession here. Endeavors and Denver is sneakily coming back in games a lot of late. Drew Locke's a ton of weapons. There's Tim Patrick, Jerry Judy, and the like. And I'm getting five and a half points. These teams usually play very close games. I, give me those points with the Broncos. Pick three. Uh, I'm going to go dense on this one. I,
2: I I think that the Broncos are now starting to realize uh, that they're flirting too much with, you know, they're, they're starting to see where the holes are. And I think that Gruden is doing a really good job keeping the Raiders in uh, contention in the AFC and this is a game in division that he's telling them this is a good Denver team. We cannot sleep on them. We need to come out and we need to be dominant from the start of the game and uh, I think the Raiders understand now just how quickly these games can get away from them and how it can be tight down the stretch. I think that the that the, the Raiders win by at least a, a touchdown in this one so I would actually go against you on that but you know, I, I, still, that's a lot of points. And, uh, and that that the young Broncos team could be a real problem in the West uh, in, in the coming years.
1: Yeah, so to reset the picks, Dan has gone with the Chicago Bears getting two and a half at home on Monday night against the Minnesota Vikings. He has gone with the Miami Dolphins laying two and a half on the road against the New Orleans Saints, against the, uh, the Los Angeles Chargers at home, excuse me, the Seahawks getting two against the Rams on the road. I am getting with the Broncos getting 5.5 against the Las Vegas Raiders, the Bucks laying 4.5 in Carolina against the Panthers, and the Saints laying 9.5 at on, on home against the San Francisco 49ers. And those are your picks for week number nine, week number 10 on the podcast. Coming up next week, we're going to go yeah. to Troy Moriello, Dallas Cowboys fan, and we got to talk about what's going wrong with Dallas next week. Yeah,
2: I mean, to be perfectly honest, the Cowboys are a complete mess I, I don't. I can't believe that they've already come out and they've just immediately said that McCarthy's not going anywhere. Dak is our quarterback. They're making all these guarantees about next year, and that's so Jerry Jones. He wants everybody to understand that he's still in control. <laughs> it's all about him, and uh, that he never makes any mistakes. And so, such a bizarre scenario. Such such a really really weird situation going on with the Cowboys. I don't know how quickly they will be back. As a, a formidable team again, everybody had them as a as a serious contender in the NFC. And now, what are they? Where do they go from here? Uh, now they've got an overpriced running back, uh, a decimated offensive and defensive line, a defense that really can't stop anybody doing anything, and uh, and a quarter a franchise quarterback who we don't know if he'll be the same guy. We, I mean, that was a terrible injury. So, and a head coach who. Everybody kind
1: of feels the same way about it. I don't know too many people are saying, oh, my God, I really want Mike McCarthy. So, I don't know. seems like a mess to me. It is a mess. I'll break it down next week. Dan, thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. Before I let you go, I can you follow on social media and keep up some of the stuff you're up to? Sure. Out
2: of town fan pod on Twitter. Uh, I will be a little bit more active over the following week. I, I tend to get more and more chatty on Twitter as uh, the season goes on um, and we get closer to the playoffs. Uh, I try to wait till it's crazy that we're already in week 10. I try to wait till mid season to kind of start giving my viewpoints. And I get into quite a few back and forth with uh, various sports reporters and, and people. Uh, I definitely fight the trolls. So if you're in for a fun read, uh, follow me on Twitter and yeah, uh, it was great. Thanks Mike. It's fun to talk about the golf and make the pick and uh, we will see this should be a really interesting finish i think it's still open in the afc and the NFC to see who's gonna who'll be the uh make it to the Super Bowl this year
1: yeah indeed and one more thing before you go are you a big mandalorian guy
2: love it just uh watched episode two the other night and uh the storytelling is as good as ever you think you know where where it's going and and they, they just every episode is just oh i i love it i love tuning in and uh that relationship between the two of you never would you never you never thought that you'd be sitting here saying that you'd uh you'd be just so on board with a character that you can't see their face and uh uh, basically what looks like a plush yoda doll uh baby doll so it's it's amazing but i can't get enough of it it's it's just so good
1: yeah it is so good i'm gonna break i'm gonna break that episode two of the season next with pete considori right after this Week 2 of the Mandalorian Season 2 coverage here on the podcast. Joining me today, big Star Wars guy. Last talked to him about hockey in September. We talked a little holy moly, and we talked Star Wars, the Rise of Skywalker preview back last December. Pete Considori is here. Pete, welcome back. How are you?
0: Hey, Mike. Thanks for having me back. I mean, it's, just, it's always fun being on the podcast, and now we're talking a little bit uh, a little bit of Star Wars action here with the Mandalorian.
1: Yeah, I, they'll say I was very thrilled with Season 1. Premiere last week. I, did, I talked about John Stanko. Was fun. What did you think about the premiere?
0: Yeah, I really like the premiere a lot. I think it was a nice start. I think um, the introduction of little little storylines, I, I think emerged. I think that we, you know, this is not the time we see the Marshall in this series. Um, so I think that this is a nice setup to the series. Um, and there was a lot of little things, I don't know if you guys noticed it, that I picked up on that were actually nice callbacks to the movies. Um, really quickly, like uh, the Marshall Speeder looks like an old top racing, you know, turbine engine, almost like Anakin's. It wasn't Anakin because there was a red turbine instead of a blue one. Uh, also, obviously, Boba Fett's armor is in there. So a nice, nice little callbacks.
1: Yeah, they are. We do have a nice callback to this Mandalorian season one in this episode, which we'll get to in just a second. I'm going to pop the spoiler warning on now so we can dive into Chapter 10 of The Mandalorian, The Passenger. And, again, this is your friendly warning. Again, if you have not seen the second episode of the second season of The Mandalorian, also probably I will throw out there if you have not seen the episode, I think season one, episode six, The Prisoner. If you have not seen those come back after you've watched them because we're going to spoil a lot of things here. And this is a definitely interesting episode. I think the passenger, not quite as good in my opinion as the premiere, but I thought it was still fun.
0: Yeah. I mean, it was fun, but it, like, what was the point of it? Like, I, I just, I watched it and I get, maybe there's like some storylines that they're trying to put up right then and there, but like, well, I don't really understand what the storyline behind this, like frog woman has to do with anything. I know
1: i think to me i and we'll get to this point in the episode i think they had this visual in mind of we're gonna put the mandalorian on an ice planet we want a big fight with spiders and we're gonna do that and we just sort of need a vehicle to get us there i think that was what the frog woman was
0: yeah but like, like if you look at the episode as a whole right and i'm sure we'll get into this but like if you look at the episode as a whole if that episode didn't exist right and we just go to chapter we'll be the next one 11 yeah Right. If you just go to chapter eleven, like I'm curious to see what your thoughts are next Friday. If like chapter ten was even needed, because I, I just don't I don't know what exactly chapter ten accomplished. All all it really accomplished to me was all right. He's traveling to a specific area where he needs to find a contact that has Mandalorians, and yes, the contact is probably this this frog woman's husband or whatever like that. But I feel like, I, I don't, I don't know, like I just, I you, the way it ended, it was just like, okay, maybe you can have like the ending be that they actually get to their destination at least, have some resolve. It's just like, hey, we're just going to throw this episode in here.
1: Yeah, I do think there, are, this does feel a bit like a filler episode where like, we need to pad the order to eight episodes and we don't, ha- we have enough ideas for seven, so we just throw this one in yeah. there, have some visuals that are in there that's interesting, but. I do think there was some fun in there. I do think it was also a very heavy Baby Yoda hour, which we have to, we did not get much of the child in the premiere.
0: Yeah, but I mean, even with the child in this one, it, it just you didn't really get much about the child, right? So the only thing you got, and I don't know if this has to connect with anything, is that the child likes to eat this this frog <laughs> lady's egg. Like I, that's I didn't learn anything. Like I I just I feel like an episode, especially of something of this caliber, show right the Mandalorian. A successful first season, I would say, and I'm sure you would say the same thing too. Now there's all this hype about the Mandalorian. We had a quarantine. Everyone's like, oh, at least the Mandalorian's coming back. There's a lot of hype. So I can obviously understand if it's not up to the expectations of most. However, I was looking at this objectively and I'm looking at this episode and I'm going, well, I just, I didn't really learn much from this. Like all it was, was, hey, you, there's a contact on a, on a separate, you know, planet. You have to bring some cargo to, to to talk to this contact and then the whole episode was we're trying to get there and just didn't work out to me that's that's not so much filler as is well uh, excuse me not so much story based as it is filler so like it, it i i really i'm really interested to see what happens in chapter 11 if we even needed 10
1: yeah let's we'll get there We'll start diving into some of the stuff from chapter 10 here uh the the passenger so obviously we pick up we did not get go back to the Boba fett reveal like i didn't like john and i thought would be the case last week we end up going getting this trap being set where man amando gets tripped up by a bunch of raiders he's he impressive fighting skills he kills two third one that grabs the child he tricks him with his jet pack what do you think of that whole sequence
0: i think that was a, a nice little lighthearted sequence right uh I don't think it was anything that I didn't see coming. Like, obviously, the Mandalorian's not just going to be like, yeah, sure, take my jetpack. No problem. Like, obviously, we kind of saw that he was going to manipulate at some point that would either he would chase after the dude, shoot the dude, the little guy, or, or do something to the jetpack. So I kind of knew. I kind of saw it coming, that story, that little mini story arc right there. Uh, but it was it was lighthearted. I laughed. You know, it was a nice little, like, haha. ha just to get the the episode started. Um, It it definitely starts with tension. And I wish that tension was brought out throughout the entire episode. Like that was like that beginning part where like the child's in danger, right? Something may happen to the child, like boom, right in the beginning of the season. And it's just, it's just taken care of like one, two, three, no problem. Like there's no, there's no tension. I mean, the, the only tension that we get is probably halfway through the episode.
1: Yeah, we do. We, I mean, that was fun. I mean, we you get some last when you see him basically trick, rig the jetpack to just drop the guy on his head and basically just kill him that way. And then I did love the appearance again of Pelma coming back again in this in this episode. Her bit at the, at the most icy cantina was fun.
0: Yeah, I, I think I think her character is going to be huge in this scene. I personally think this is going to be a reoccurring thing where the Mandalorian keeps going back to that same person. And that same person is going to still play her tricks. Uh, I need money for this, that. The other thing, is just going to be kind of like a running gag, I think, throughout the the season. Um, maybe she is more important towards the end of the season than we think. But it seems like she's going to be a liaison, if you will, for the episodes where every episode or maybe every other episode, we will see this character and, and this character guides the Mandalorian some sort of
1: way. Yeah, just this week she guides us to our frog lady, and basically she has to get transported to... Another planet because she's trying to meet up with her husband. She has but they can't travel at light speed because it'll destroy the egg she's carrying, which is gonna save the species. And I do think two things here I think this interesting. Is number one, it forces Mando to go slower, which I think again, it's kind of a reflection of the whole episode, like let's slow down. But I also think the thing that was more interesting to me is this him trying to find a way to communicate, because he knows many languages. You saw last week he knows how to speak sand people language, but he doesn't understand this this character, the frogly. I think that was very fun that's why i'm watching trying to figure that out
0: yeah i mean i think that was also kind of one of the weird parts of the episode because like at one point this frog lady just knows how to use a broken droid to translate her voice like no problem like i that was such like a plot hole in my opinion yes it's so small like I, i'm not gonna lose sleep over how'd she do it but like just willy nilly, just takes a piece of the joy, like I'm going to talk through this like a microphone's going to translate, no problem. I know how to do it. Like, come on, that that was that was so abrupt. <laughs> it was just like, oh, now I can communicate with you, no problem. It, it, the 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 language barrier there between the Mandalorian and the and I don't know what the species is called, but I'm going to just call it the frog lady is definitely something that's not um. Expected since the Mandalorian is so versed in other languages, right? And and you've seen throughout the season how he's a man of many species, you know, in a sense that he's protecting a lot of species, he's doing jobs for species and stuff like that and in the Star Wars kind of realm. And then all of a sudden, oh, I just I don't know how to speak frog, but you can speak sand people, you can speak Tusken Raider. Like, yeah literally just grunting you can speak that with sign language but you don't know how to speak frog
1: you know i guess the implication there was sort of like that like this is a very endangered species and it's like her her husband a couple of others i need the eggs to sort of redo the species maybe there are not a lot of people although to be fair pelmont right. knows how to speak their language so i don't know how she knows it but he yeah. doesn't
0: yeah. i mean i mean that that's the thing right that just there's a lot of little I mean, this is nitpicky, right? Like, yeah. who, who's sitting here picking this out? But I'm going to pick out and be like, well, if she can speak it, what, what, why can't he learn or something? I, I, maybe because who knows? Maybe that frog lady just chills with her. Maybe this is a character that lives or works with her. I, I don't know, but I do know that it, it gives a little bit more attention, but they don't really play to it that much. That's the thing. Like, they could have played into the communication barrier so much more. And they really did, I think, because they had to throw some action in there as well. It just didn't seem like it didn't really seem like it was such a problem when it maybe they could have made it a problem.
1: Yeah, I do feel like the having the broken drawers, I completely forgotten was still on the ship until they did the previously on. And they yeah, into the episode like that sort of seemed like an easy like, oh, here's our here's our way to get them to communicate. Not and sort of like I think that was a little lazy sort of right that way in there.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's cool that that the droid's still there. I yeah. think that's that's really cool. I just didn't like how she just picked it up and in three seconds flat was like, "Oh yeah, I, I I did this, this, and this." Now, granted, the scene in between, it's implied that the Mandalorian has been sleeping for a while, but I, I just, you know, I I don't know. It just it just seemed very forced to me. It was like, okay, we need to understand what the Frog Lady is saying for five minutes or less for the audience, so we're just gonna throw that in there.
1: Yeah, they did kind of throw that in there. We do get to, to that. Before we get there, though, we do have the point where he's traveling below below light speed in space, and he gets picked up by two uh, Republic ships. It's the first time we've actually seen Republic presence on the show proper, and I did not expect them to be going back to the whole battle with the prison ship in, se- in Season 1. That was an interesting call to go back there.
0: Well, I, I think that it is smart to go back because it's still a continuation of the season i mean if you think about a tv show in general you want to continue off where you left off like it's one universe one um straight timeline so i I can i can appreciate that i also appreciate that it was it was kind of comical it was very dry humor where it was almost like like hey can you you send us a beacon and he's like nah it's broken." can you, can you fix it? Can it? <laughs> it's like we'll, we'll wait for you, and it it brings. I don't want to call it filler, but like again, it just it it just feels like it brings some time time crunch um, problems where it's not even a time crunch. They just need to fill time, and they're like, okay, we're we're gonna elongate this part. Like they could have easily went to attack mode after he said, "I don't have a beacon, like, and I'm not gonna send you the ping, like that." It, it didn't have to be drawn out another minute.
1: Yeah, I think so, I think that was sort of a reflection on like I think if you remember the sequence in episode and the finale of season one where we have the two stormtroopers sitting, sitting there shooting the breeze for about three minutes before we actually get any action in it. Right, and they thought, oh, right. that was fun. Let's try and do this again. But I don't. I think without Tycho YTT's act like uh, cue there, I don't think it helped. I don't think it worked as well.
0: You know what? I don't. I don't mind it if the if the episode was more meaningful. Like if this was a a, a big episode where we learned a lot. I'd be like, all right, that was a nice little thing to throw in there. It's funny. It's a little comedic relief. It's uh, a little break from all the action, the drama or whatever, or from learning something and it gives your brain a break. But like for an episode like this, to me, it's like you're just, I don't know, it's just like the whole episode just had that, hey, let's just throw something in to, to for the sake of doing it. Yeah.
1: Also a fun fact, one of the X-Wing pilots is played by Dave Filoni, who is one of the directors on the series. So fun I don't have to get him an on-screen role there.
0: That is a fun fact. I didn't even notice that. Didn't even put two and two together there.
1: Yeah, he's the other guy, not the main guy. The main guy is played by an actual actor. Filoni is the second pilot.
0: I mean, they did they did a phenomenal job. I, I actually enjoyed seeing the X-Wing. Yeah. I think that was, that was a nice touch.
1: Yeah, it was a nice touch. And Anyway, to refresh what happened in the season one episode that they referenced several times, basically that's the one where he goes with the bounty hunting crew to break somebody off the Republic prison ship. That's what we... And then the bounty hunters turn on him. We see him do all these fights in the dark where he's taking them down one by one. And at the end, the Republic blows up the bounty hunting ship and he just gets off scot-free. So we thought, so it was nice then to just have him have some consequences for his actions as opposed to just letting him get off scot-free.
0: I mean, it kind of does anyway.
1: (laughs) Yeah, we'll we'll get there. But (laughs) anyway, like he, he runs, he gets down to the ice planet, he hides in them, but his ship crashes through and then... We get the fun plot. I think it's the fun Baby Yoda moment of the week is Baby Yoda and trying to eat the eggs the entire episode. That was just so funny.
2: Yeah, I, that
1: was...
0: I, I, I'm i conflicted about the child. And the reason why I'm conflicted is because they were building the child up to be such a force, right? Something that is everyone's looking for. Everything is... is Leading up to this this, this monumental Thing the child you know Sometimes helped in season one This season So far the child just seems Like a dummy like it's just like oh I just, just want to eat like where did, where did that persona go or I don't, I don't know if you can call a persona it's not a per- person but like Where did that theme go for the child I don't know if it's a him but like Are they trying to downplay the child And then like three episodes Left in the season they all of a sudden like Stuff starts going down. Like I,
1: yeah, I think to me the thing I look at is okay. I don't know when this was written because I don't know if this was written before Baby Yoda sort of broke out in the modern sense of the show, like when it gets out and becomes a big social media sensation, or after that because it was before. Right. You can say okay, maybe this is part of there. We're gonna kind of, you know, we He's still a kid. He's just hungry. He wants to eat the eggs. We mm-hmm. think it's a funny visual. Or if this is after, say, oh, we had we had Baby Yoda moment. We didn't put one in the premiere, so let's have him just try and eat the eggs the whole episode.
2: Yeah,
0: I mean that's a good point. They they may be trying to play like, hey, this thing is still a child. Yeah. And 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 I didn't really think of that. You know, yeah. obviously as both the child, but like I didn't really think of that that much because of how important. This child was in the first season. Yeah. Uh, so it's definitely a play. I mean, it's definitely a play that they could go for. Where, hey, this thing is is highly sought out for, very powerful, either in an older age or right now, but it's still a kid. So I can I can see that.
1: Yeah, in a sense, that kind of attitude kind of reminds me of like I don't know if you're a big Avatar: The Last Airbender guy. It's kind of like what they do with Aang, the Avatar on the show, because biologically right. he's 112 years old, but he's in frozen in ice. The start of the series. He's frozen in iceberg for a hundred years. So he comes out a 12 year old kid and he's still a kid, but he's the most powerful being in the world. So they do have moments where he tries to be a kid where he's like doing goofy things, but he still has like these big moments.
0: Right. But, but those big moments were, were not far and few between.
1: Yeah.
0: Right. Like you knew the power that he possessed, even though he was just a kid and, and you see how he's learning to be responsible. Now, granted the child, biologically is is older you know i i think it's like a insane age compared to what it looks like but it's i think comparatively to Ong's uh, character in the last airbender it's probably a younger development age than 12 if that makes sense like it's still acting like a baby maybe yeah,
1: yeah well i mean yoda himself was like about eight nine hundred years old by the time he dies so right. i think they, right the child being 50 he's basically like he's a three-year-old
0: right so i can see i can see that i can see maybe that you know the child can't harness its power if you will or or understand what it's doing uh the first season when things do go down the child does it as like a an act of like oh i, I have to help so like it's weird It's like the child kind of knows like oh i need to help and then now it's acting like it doesn't know to stop eating eggs like i i I don't
1: know. I'm I'm very conflicted. Yeah. Well. Anyway, we continue that storyline. The we get the we have the sequence where the frog lady gets the like basically hacks the droid, tells him we have to get moving because like my species will die. If we can't get these eggs over there. And then we we see later she sneaks out of the ship, goes to her, like a hot spring bath. And Baby o starts more trouble because he's hungry again, eats a eats a baby spider, and then starts this big spider attack, which I think was a very cool visual like sequence for like the last third of the episode.
0: Yeah, no, that was definitely a very cool scene and a very, um, like you said, visual event, right? You have all these spiders. It kind of reminded me a little bit of Harry Potter uh, when, like, spiders and all that happens. It kind of reminded me of that. Obviously, the spiders didn't look like regular spiders as they did in Harry Potter, even if we see in real life. They're more alien-esque spiders, so it definitely gave it a little fresher look, but that's what it reminded me of, and it it definitely looked cool. I think it was... um, a nice tension moment uh, where their lives were in danger because Baby Yoda, the child, whatever you'd like to call it, started this trouble because it was hungry and it couldn't eat the egg, so it went to this like pod-looking thing, almost looked like a flower was opening up, but it was really a egg for um, a newborn baby, like spider. And then the whole family comes out, and it's just it's just spiders all over the place. It is definitely a very good scene. I like the fact that. The Mandalorian needed help, right? And I'm sure we'll get to this in a second, that he couldn't do it all on his own because his ship was pretty much kaput. So it it was visually very, very nice. Kind of saw the action coming, except for maybe the flamethrower scene because like he's just picking off spiders like we kind of knew what else he was going to do. A couple explosions too, using some uh, little mini detonators. So that was pretty cool. Uh, But overall, probably the better part of the episode.
1: Yeah, I think this is what I was talking about earlier. I said they sort of had this idea of, like, we want this big spider fight where he's going to be chasing, spiders be chasing him. He's going to have to deal with a big army thing, some big, some tiny, some, like, ginormous. And I think they sort of had the idea, but we just didn't have, like, a first two-thirds of the episode sort of justify why we got the spider fight.
0: Yeah, I, I just, again, like, I just didn't understand. I, I understand where it came from. Obviously, you could see what the start of the conflict is, and, yeah. and I get that. There's no doubt about what happened. The child ate a baby spider. The spider family got woken up from that for how, however they knew maybe the the mother spider can sense it. And they start attacking the people that killed one of the babies. I get it. That start and finish. I got it. Like that's perfect. It's just like, like you said, the first two thirds of the episode were just getting there. Like we just need to get there. And then at the end, we're not gonna have any sort of explanation of anything. Just watch the next episode.
1: Do you think this episode plays better? If this episode is like twenty-seven minutes instead of forty-one. I just don't think it it needs to
0: be in the thing at all. Like I, I honestly feel like maybe, like you said, was right. They had ideas for seven episodes, but you need to fill eight. Like this, I, I, I promise you, you could probably watch chapter eleven and only need maybe five minutes of chapter ten to understand what's happening in chapter eleven. Right? you All you need to know is that there's a contact that the Mandalorian's trying to get to to find other Mandalorians. That's all you need to know. The rest of the episode, you don't learn a thing.
1: Yeah, we don't. Anyway, we do get this fight. The Mandalorian's getting overwhelmed. The ship gets overrun by the spiders. And then, Leslie's about to get takes off. And then, another gigantic adult spider crashes down on the Razor Crest it's all over, and then surprise, surprise! Our two rebel pilots in the gang of the of the uh, series, the Resistance, uh, New Republic pilots, save the day by basically just blasting all of the spiders to death with the and the X thing. So, uh, anticlimactic finish to that fight to me.
0: Um, yes, but it also shows that the Mandalorian can't really do everything. Mandalorian kind of has this persona to to him that. It's this, this incredible bounty hunter. That's a great, you know, in the first episode, the marshal keeps calling him a great killer. Right. And then he can't defeat spiders. Like think about that for a second. Like he can go against a lot of different things. He went against a crate dragon, which was like huge. Right. And he goes into the belly of this dragon, which again kind of saw it coming and he explodes it by himself and he's the savior of the day, but like, he can't take care of spiders and the and the And the new Republic guys have to come with their x wings and help them. and the new Republic guys pretty much just was like, <laughs> "You can figure it out, we're leaving you yeah. know like they just didn't care like almost it almost kind of gave the impression of like Mandalorians aren't that special, yeah,
1: yeah, that's true, and we get to them, and he comes out and they're like, "Hey, we know you, you were on the prison ship, It's like he's like, "Am I under arrest?" And they're like, You should be, but you helped us get three high priority prisoners under arrest, and you they did some other good stuff, so we're gonna let you walk, but we're not helping you anymore. You're you're on your own, which I think will live a cop out, but also fair. That they didn't be complete nice guys because this guy is still not the greatest human being on the planet.
0: Oh yeah, I mean, I think I don't. I wouldn't call it cop out as much as it, it kind of he kind of had it coming. Yeah, I mean, he's a bounty hunter. He 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 works for no one. He he gets a bounty, he goes for it. it. Doesn't matter what side it is. I don't think bounty hunters ever really got a good rap in the star Wars franchise anyway, because of the, the sense of they didn't have a side, right? They just kind of took a job and did what they had to do. So I think personally, it was a good way that the X-Wing pilots ended it. It kind of shows that they don't take anything from anyone anymore, especially from defeating the empire. Cause if the empire is not too, too far prior to the Mandalorian series, if I'm not mistaken. So, you know, it, Shows that they have this sense of confidence. Like, no, we we run this galaxy now. We don't we don't worry about bounty hunters or the empire anymore.
1: Yeah, it's, 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 it's the show itself. Is at five years after the Return of the Jedi. I mean, we saw some of the flashbacks last week from uh, Timothy Oliphant's character, Cobb Barf. We saw some of the stuff right. happen right after the de- second Death Star blew up. So it, I think the right. official so, timeline is so five years. So super recent. Yeah. right. Super recent.
0: It's not like it's a hundred years. It's it's super recent where they have their new you know they the new republic whatever it's called and and they are hey we run this now like i don't care what you are
1: yeah based so, based at this point like we're still about like 30 years out from like the force awakens
0: yes correct i don't think the first order is around right now in the mandalorian uh story arc
1: yeah yeah little ben, ben solo's probably about like a year old at this point probably yeah So anyway That's the That's pretty much the episode I think we're both here. I think episode one Was better
0: Oh So much better I And within the first Ten minutes You see Boba Fett's armor Like Just that alone I was like Oh this is gonna be A great season Because like They're gonna just Keep playing back To old Star Wars movies And all this stuff And like even his even his uh, speeder, like I was talking about, was an old pod racer turbine. It wasn't Anakin's again because the color scheme is wrong, but it was like the same exact type of turbine. So, like, there was a lot of different little things you could pick up on and go, "Oh, this is this." He bought them from this and that. I bought the armor. I need the armor back. You got to help us. This big, big kind of thing. And and also, it, the the episode created a relationship that I feel like we're going to see later. Like, I don't think that that episode meant nothing. This episode to me meant nothing. All I needed was those first five minutes or not even the first five minutes because they had a the fight sequence in the desert. But like, let's say the second 10 minutes where we know there's a contact that may know where other Mandalorians are, you need to get there. But here's the catch. You got to bring this dude's wife over. Okay. No resolve. It's not like he, like if they would have ended the episode, like if they would have made this Like a 57 minute episode Like the first one was And they would end the episode Where they finally get there And it, Like as cliche as this sounds He gets to the contact And the contact's like The Mandalorians are here And then you see like video Of the Mandalorians Like being themselves And then it just cuts to black yeah. You know okay Like at least there's some resolve At least okay They know there's no Mandal We know now there's more Mandalorians Out there It's not just a wild goose chase That this particular Mandalorian Is going through Let's let's now I can look forward to the next episode. This was like oh all right they just fell asleep in the in the razor crest and okay I guess we're waiting until Friday.
1: Yeah, I mean it's it's not a good episode where one of the big things is your character ends up sleeping for part of the episode.
0: I you know what though that may also show a little bit of character development with the Mandalorian. Yeah. Right. Again, like I said, The Mandalorian was all about like helping everyone can do anything. And for some reason, this episode, he was very defeated yeah. on a lot of things. And he's like, okay, I guess we got to do it. Like, it, I don't know if it, that's the character development. Maybe he's getting annoyed with the child, right? Maybe they're trying to do like a parent child kind of thing with like, hey, you, you love your kids and sometimes they annoy you kind of thing. I, I don't know. It, it was a very weird dynamic. And I, I'm hoping that this wasn't for anything, for nothing. I, I hope that this. Was actually something to set up something maybe two or three episodes down the line, right? To show maybe that the Mandalorian is getting fed up with the child, or or is just it doesn't have the same kind of like drive anymore. I hope there's something that this episode did for us, except for say there's a new contact. I, uh, yeah, you know it. To me, I don't look into it that much because I feel like the Mandalorian's just gonna still like kick ass excuse my language, and just do what he has to do throughout the whole season anyway. And this was like you said, in the beginning of the podcast, we just need to fill a seventh an eighth episode because we only wrote for seven.
1: Yeah. It's like, I have two final thoughts on this is number is Obviously I don't think we're going to get any major characters from this really popping up again, but we'll probably see the frogly next episode. But like, I would not put any, my money, anybody in here showing up in the finale. That's besides the man, besides man of the child. That's my first point. And the second one is I do think that like, This does kind of feel like, I don't know how much of a lost guy you are. There were sort of episodes where there were like storylines where contrary like, oh, like this is happening back at the camp and it's fun. You have to go with the characters, but you're not really advancing the story. This reminds me sort of like a very devised episode like where Hurley starts the Dharma van. But in this one, in this version, like they would not be able to start the van. They would just need to get a tow. Like that's basically what this episode ended up being. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, I hate because there's a lot of stuff that goes on the Star Wars franchise. I hate to do this. But to to very loosely compare it to Episode Eight, I feel like this was the Mandalorian's Episode Eight. Now I know that the Disney trilogy is not well liked in the Star Wars community, but I feel like at least the Force Awakens um, and the Rise of Skywalker actually had something going on story wise, and just Eight was just all over the place, and they just need to fill a movie. Yeah. like 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 I feel like you can watch Episode. Uh, Seven and nine And skip eight You probably still Will understand What's going on yeah. Except yeah. for maybe A quarter of the movie That you may need to see Just to connect Some plot lines But like Again I hate to, to loosely Compare this I feel like This is The Mandalorian Like you know, Episode two Is the Mandalorian's Episode eight Of the trilogy The Disney trilogy
1: yeah, you know, so hopefully thank, we'll get a better episode next week. Hopefully we'll start getting a little further movement on this plot point because we do we definitely have not moved very much and we're, we're at the end of last season. Yeah,
0: I, I'm not concerned. I feel like possibly maybe, like you said, this was we need to fill eight episodes. I hope this is the only episode they had to fill and they had seven written and not six or five because that would be very frustrating. Yeah. Um, I understand that there is, again, a lot of high expectations because of season one was so good. Granted, there were, were some slow parts in season one as well, but again, I feel like I was always learning something about the character or learning something about the child or learning something about the environment around where they were. This was just very blah. It was like, we are going to show you how they're going to get to this planet, throw a couple spiders in there, and we're still not going to show you who the contact is. You know, What if it was like they threw something in there. Like they definitely could have thrown like the contact was like a past star Wars character. And like, boom, you end the episode where like, they, they were going nowhere with this. And I feel like, I feel like they're not going to do it again. I feel like there's going to be a good rest of the season because the director is great. Uh, the writers have been great so far. Again, season one through season to episode one, I can't I episode three being as bad as episode two. And it's not even a terrible episode. I just feel like it was just very blah. I was like, okay, it's just there.
1: Yeah. I'm trying to look up who directed this episode. Cause usually the episode's director plays a big role. In what the episode ends up looking like. I think, if I'm not mistaken, was this, a, was, was this a Peyton Reed episode?
0: That I'm not sure. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't go that in depth when it comes to the production. Right. I just, I just kind of, you know, I'm very, um, I don't want to say objective, but I'm very like, I'm just going to watch what's on screen. I'm going to make my opinion there. Yeah. I really don't, I don't have the information about who wrote it, who directed it, who, but like, I, but everything up to this point was fun. So like, I don't know what happened here.
1: Yeah, I did look it up. It it was a Peyton redirected episode. So, and he's the guy behind, and, behind Ant-Man. So you figure, okay, okay maybe he tried uh, to get some of the Ant-Man vibe with the spider stuff. And I don't think it worked.
0: Maybe. I mean, who directed episode one? Of season two
1: yeah I'm checking right now because I this was him and favreau himself directed episode one
0: okay yeah so it may, maybe it was a director issue you know same thing with like episode eight right the director changed yeah so he tried taking in his own storyline so that it's a possibility again to loosely compare it to episode eight of the Disney movie the directors did change and you saw the storyline take a like a take a U-turn yeah. real quick. So it, that is a possibility too. Just director's creative thinking just didn't didn't flow well with what the overall season or the overall theme of Mandalorian was or is.
1: Yeah, well, I'm confident we're getting another good episode next week. Episode three, we going to doing that on the podcast next weekend. Pete, thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. Before I let you go, how can you follow on social media? Give us some of the stuff you're up to.
0: Yeah, so I mean, I'm uh, hoping to, you know, just a little preview in 2021 to start a podcast on my own. I'd love to have you on it, just talking about random stuff, trying to have a good old time, uh, very uh, lighthearted kind of content. Um, so be on lookout for that. Uh, but you can follow me on Twitter at PJConsidori29. I'm usually doing a lot of retweets, a lot of hockey. So you'll definitely get your news there if you're not following some of the bigger hockey pages.
1: All right, Pete, thanks again. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Mike. All right, and that will do it for this week's show. I want to thank my guest, Dan D. Martini, for hopping on to talk about the Masters and do the Week 10 picks. I also want to thank T. Considori for breaking down episode two of The Mandalorian. Definitely an f- interesting episode. I wouldn't say it was my favorite, but hopefully we get a better one next week. If you want more good stuff like this podcast, including my instant reactions to Steve Cohen's introductory press conference, to the Mets owner, and I was thrilled by what I heard. There's a big sea change coming for the Mets based on how he wants to run the organization. Check out the blog over at justandthesuffering.wordpress.com. You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon. Simply search for Just and the Suffering on any of those platforms. You can find all the episodes there. You can also subscribe to my YouTube channel, Mike Phillips on YouTube. You can find all of the individual conversations from this episode. So if you want to check out, for instance, Pete's chat with me about episode 2 of The Mandalorian, that's already up on the YouTube channel. Feel free to your feedback and star ratings as well. I'll make this podcast even better going forward. And trust me, guys, it means a lot. You can also follow me on Twitter at mphillips three three one. That's m p h i l i p s three three one. Coming up next week on the podcast, we're going to do our NBA draft preview. We'll do our Mandalorian episode three recap and more. Until then, hope you have a better week than those Chargers fans.
2: This has been the Just End the Suffering podcast. I'm out.